everyone and welcome to episode 45 of the retrospectives podcast the lord of the rings the two towers my name is patrick arthur and i'm joined as always by my co-host james turlings james are you a lord of the rings fan have you uh have you seen these movies or read these books i think everybody's uh, had some experience with the lord of the rings series uh you know in this day and age um, I haven't read the series myself, but I have watched the movies many, many times with my uh, my family and uh, in recent years. So uh, really excited to get into this episode and talk about an adaptation of an adaptation of one of the uh, greatest fantasy uh, series ever written. Yeah, it really is a phenomenon. Like, I mean, I read it because I'm a massive nerd and I... I... Nowadays, I'm not as into Lord of the Rings as other more contemporary fantasy novels, as you know, with me trying to force you to read Malazan over and over again. But there's no denying the um, the effect that Lord of the Rings has had on the fantasy genre. And it's something that I'm fascinated about to this day. So The Lord of the Rings Two Towers uh, is an action RPG hack and slash game that was first released in 2002 for the PlayStation 2. It came to the Xbox and the GameCube later that year. We Today we played on the GameCube, more on that later. And there was even a demake for the GBA that was also made, the Game Boy Advance. It was developed by a studio called Stormfront Studios. They haven't really made too many famous games recently. They dissolved in 2008. But they were most famous for a 1991 game called Neverwinter Nights. Uh, not the... Um, not the action RPG that was released, I think, in 1998. No, no, it was like 2000 uh, by Obsidian. This is like an early prototype MMO uh, in 1991. And when um, when the IP was bought, the, they wanted to attract this audience of this MMO. Um, they also made a game called Stronghold, which is an early base management strategy game. I remember that game. Yeah, heard, uh, heard... you might be thinking of a different Stronghold for what it's worth. There's uh, there's more than one. I remember Stronghold Two being a uh, a game. Yes, that existed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think this is not that Stronghold because that's the one I thought it was as well. But this is far far simpler. It's more All right. Yeah, it's more city management as opposed to strategy. But uh, at the time, it was a big deal. This is all to say that I don't really know many games from this studio. They're not one of those studios that have gone on to better and greater things. This was probably in their twilight years. Yes. (laughs) And it was ported to the GameCube by Hypnos Entertainment, which is a company that specializes in ports like that. GameCube obviously has fairly unique architecture compared to the PlayStation or the Xbox. So it wasn't uncommon for other companies to pull them to the GameCube. So basically, I, I read the Wikipedia page, and I think that this is also an interesting sort of note and subtext to this game. So basically, this game, Lord of the Rings, the Two Hours, Two Towers, was the published... Two Hours. The Two Hours. <laughs> I think was, Lord um... of the Rings is a lot longer than that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's how long it took me to play it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, um, it was published by EA, and... Importantly, it's an adaptation of the films, um, The Fellowship and The Two Towers. It is not an adaptation of the novels, and that's important because at the time, they didn't have the rights to the novels, so they were not allowed to include anything that was in the novels. They could only include things from the movie. And the reason for this, you know, obviously there was a complications, but the first game in this series, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, actually isn't in this series. It was made by a completely different company, Vivendi Universal Games, and they had the rights to the um to to Tolkien's literary works, including Fellowship of the Ring. So Two Towers and Fellow and Fellowship actually came out like three weeks apart from one another what? they were developed in parallel yeah fellowship is not yeah it's not made by the same company it's a completely different property with fellowship being based off the novels and two towers only they're only allowed to use scenes and characters and ideas from the films so yeah i just thought that was uh that was a really interesting uh interesting note because we we were trying to decide which lord of the rings game to start with 
Yes. And we eventually decide to go with two towers because after speaking to some of the users on our Discord and to the person who first suggested this game to me, my friend Blake, uh, it seems like the two towers is just a, it's a it's really a completely different game to Fellowship. It's a straight up action RPG brawler, whereas Fellowship is more on the adventure side. And the people who had, were on our Discord, this was the game they wanted to hear about. This is the game that they played when they were kids. Yeah, so, it's funny because I um I'd played the the Return of the King game, which is very similar, basically a sequel to this game. Um, made by the same studio, I believe, basically all the same mechanics and gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that game being very, very fun, so I was actually really excited to go back and to see this one, to see, you know, if it was m- just more of the same or if it had, you know, uh, maybe a bit more rudimentary than that was. Um, so, because I'd only ever heard people, you know, sing the praises of the Return of the King game, um, but I'd actually never really heard anyone talk about this one before. So, you know, it was actually pretty curious to see what was going on here. I remember playing Return of the King when I was um when I was a kid at friends' places. I didn't have an Xbox myself, so I was just playing in bits and pieces, but I've got only the vaguest of memories. I, I didn't play it much. But I, I was interested. I mean I'm interested enough in Lord of the Rings intrinsically that this was a this wasn't a bad suggestion. But uh, in my passion for Lord of the Rings, I actually forgot to introduce the show. We are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic game of the past, or at the very least, a niche or well-respected or interesting game of the past. We play it through to completion in today's times over the, you know, about a couple of weeks. And then we have an in-depth discussion and review over whether that title is truly a classic whether it has actually stood the time, and whether it is worth playing today. We're not really interested in how good these games were in the context in which they were produced. We just want to know, are these games fun to play today? Yeah, we don't forgive uh, shitty controls or bad graphics that dated. You know, something that may have looked amazing on release may look pretty shitty now. And, uh, you know, we don't hold back in that regard because, you know, there's so many games coming out these days. uh, You really have to... uh, you know, be managing your time effectively, and we don't have time to go back to these, uh, you know, these old games that people talk about with blind nostalgia, only to find out that it was uh, not quite as good as you were hoping. So before we jump into the discussion, uh, we'll just let you know that both of us played on the GameCube version of Two Towers. Now, the reason for this is fairly simple. Uh, in my experience with emulators, the Dolphin emulator, which is the GameCube emulator, is just one of the best. It just seems completely and utterly stable. There's no bugs or graphical issues. There's no weird crashes. There's no obscure settings I need to set in the emulator to get it working. And this Fortnite was no exception. Everything ran perfectly and beautifully smoothly for me. Yeah, me too. I, I, I love using Dolphin. It just it just works. After the time when I use emulators, like the save states aren't working and I need to, you know, run it in administrator mode or I have to do these weird edits and I have to create memory card folders or all this other rubbish, Dolphin just always works. So moving forwards, if ever there's an option to play a game on GameCube, I'm probably going to take it. So it's time for us to jump into the discussion of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. So before we get really into it, let's just introduce the basic premise of the game. Uh, As I said before, it's an action RPG hack and slash. It takes place over the end part of Fellowship of the Ring and to the conclusion of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. It begins with a flashback scene to Isildur um, fighting against some orcs and, you know, taking on Sauron. Uh, jumps to, you know, the scene on uh, Weathertop where Aragorn is fighting the Ringwraiths. And then it ends with the Battle of Helm's Deep. Gameplay-wise, you take control of either Legolas, Gimli or Aragorn and you fight your way through hordes of orcs and Urukai and goblins as you pursue sort of missions that are somewhat related to events in the movies some of these events are kind of made up and slotted in and some are closely related to the movies and some are taken straight 
you know, one for one from the movies. It's a fairly fair spread. Although you could say, realistically, there's a universe where this is Lord of the Rings, and it's identifiably Lord of the Rings. So, that's the basics. Uh, I think it's time for us to jump right into the discussion. So, James, the first thing I want to talk about is the story. <laughs> yeah, so this is a uh, an adaptation of an adaptation, and I think that's uh, probably the thing that stuck out to me the most while playing this game. I think that this game relies heavily on have you having seen the movie, um, and that if you were to go into this game... Uh, without having seen the movies, you would be incredibly lost throughout the experience. It's completely nonsensical yeah. if you haven't seen the movie. Yeah. And even if you have seen the movie, if you haven't seen it in a while, you might be struggling to keep up because it is so abbreviated and abridged and cuts out so much. And even when it doesn't cut stuff out, it kind of cuts things down to a fraction of their former selves that major major you know plot points that happen in the movie are just completely omitted in the interest of brevity yes not only that but because every single mission takes place during like a climactic battle or important part of the story the game almost completely omits any you know quieter moments for you know character development and discussion um, and I would even go a step further and say that I don't think, you know, if you haven't watched the movie recently, this game doesn't have characters. Yes, they're, they're more archetypes, right? Yeah, it's like Legolas is an elf. Um, you don't know anything about him. You don't know anything about Gimli or Aragorn unless you've seen the films or read the book. The game just does not care about whether, you know, if you're new to the new to the series at all. You know, it expects you to have that context already um there's no funny banter between any of the characters you know like a big part of lord of the rings was you know this little rivalry between the dwarf and the elf and that's not like present here at all there's these characters aren't characters it's really bizarrely underwritten the the reason i use uh, archetypes is that lord of the rings obviously went on to define how these sort of characters were perceived in public consciousness you know, in the literary world and the movie world for years to come, Legolas is the archetypical elf. Gimli is the archetypical dwarf. And Aragorn is the archetypical ranger. And everyone copied and ripped off these characters a hundred times over. Yes. So they're identifiable as the archetypes they represent, but nothing beyond that. As you said, the reason for that is that all of, to me, the best moments of Lord of the Rings are completely omitted and cut out from this adaptation. And there's a reason for which we'll get into later. But in preparation for this episode, and also, you know, from personal taste, I haven't seen the movies in a long time, I watched the entirety of Fellowship and Two Towers. Um, I had uh, I had a couple of weekends, uh, days, you know, nights where I wasn't doing much, so I just popped them on and watched them. Because that's how long it and... takes to watch them, right? Weekends, days, and nights. <laughs> <laughs> It was like seven hours total to watch to watch the two movies, so I wasn't messing around. But the the best moments from the movies are the emotional character moments. Yeah. It's when Aragorn is looking at Isildur's sword and reflecting on whether he's doomed to repeat Isildur's mistakes. It's when Boromir is showing signs of weakness and going after the ring. It's when, um, you know, everyone's preparing for Helm's Deep and the army that's coming and the panic in the streets and the desperate last stand that they're making. Nowadays, the battles and everything, they're fine. I think at the time when I first watched them when I was younger, they were my favourite parts. But now watching them as an adult and reflecting on what these things mean it's the character moments and the emotion and those interactions that are the most meaningful highlights of the entire series. Yeah, but Patrick, this is an epic fantasy battle game. Um, we don't have time for any of that bullshit here. <laughs> um, we, only, we only care about cool orcs and fighting and punching and blood and etc. You know, none of, that, none of that lame shit. In this game's defense, it is a video game. Like, this isn't, this isn't a visual novel. So... It's interesting, although I think that, you know, the game, the, I guess the heart of the movie and the books has been wrenched out in this, as you said, adaptation of an adaptation, that isn't an intrinsically a bad thing 
if the video game itself is really strong because I don't think that video games necessarily need to be trying to accomplish the same thing that the movie's trying to accomplish. And if it just made me watch hours and hours of cutscenes, that wouldn't necessarily be a better game. Like, the movies are really good and I really enjoy the movies, but that doesn't mean that the game has to be the movie. So, although I'm really critical of the story in this nature... I don't think it's intrinsically a bad thing, and it really depends on what kind of game it is. Yeah, like, I don't mind the direction they've taken where they're trying to, you know, trim the fat, and there's a lot of fat, like, good fat, too, that I wish they hadn't trimmed, but the direction of trying to trim things down and keep, you know, the best of action scenes is okay. It's just that the connective tissue between each level is really lacking. Like, I think it could have done with, you know, a couple extra minutes of cutscene here or there, or just something you know, to drag you between these missions. Like, a lot of cases, you know, even if you pay a lot of attention uh, to these, like, you know, 10-second cutscenes, it's really, really hard to know why you're ping-ponging around the world in the way that this game is taking to you, and I found it very jarring. I I agree. It It feels like a hatchet job. It's like they kind of splice voiceovers on top of these short five to second clips from the film and kind of like awkwardly cut and paste them together and say, well, that's probably good enough. I th- I think that if they'd taken two minutes per cutscene in the in-between bits and were cleverer with it, it could have flowed a lot more smoothly. But yeah, as it is, it's a bit of a disaster. They just wholesale lift a lot of, you know, bits of the movie and use it as cutscene like the live action and then they do this thing where they like they have the live action fade into the character models and it looks really fucking ugly because <laughs> uh, this game does not look pretty in current year um in fact it looks quite horrendous and they're like going from seeing you know uh legolas's luscious locks to seeing his like jaggy ugly polygonal <laughs> character is really quite you know uh, I felt a little ill the first couple of times it happened. I gotta say, it's uh, it's not pleasant. It, it's one of those things where I can see what they were going. For. Yeah, they wanted to make you feel like you were in the movie and you were playing the movie. But I think that would have worked a lot better back in you know two thousand and two than it does today. Now it just feels Dude, it's fucking horrific. <laughs> Like, I laughed yeah, every but, time. It you happened. know, I I see what they're going for. Like, I I understand the the idea behind transferring directly to the gameplay experience and attempt to put you directly in the movie, but it doesn't really work. But but I understand the, I have, yeah, the idea Yeah, I appreciate the thought, but sorry, guys, it, it didn't quite work out. <laughs> All right, so I don't want to harp on too much about the story because I think, the uh, honestly, the way they've done it here, frankly, just sucks. Did you want to move on to a bit about the gameplay then? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I I guess after rewatching the movies, I it's been a long time since I've read the books. I just wanted to say that uh, I was impressed. Like I, the movies are still good to this day, and I know this isn't a movie review podcast, but it's kind of it's hard to avoid when it's so obviously based on a movie property. Um, to this day, the movies are still worth watching. Like I was, I was very impressed and I enjoyed them a lot and I appreciated the movies. So, I mean, that was well worth my time. The, the way it's done here does not do the movies justice. This is not a way to relive the movies. It, it doesn't work. So yeah, this is not a way to capture the spirit or the imagination or the feel of the movies. So in this respect, it's a failure this is not a good retelling or a good adaptation of the Lord of the Rings story, at the very least. All right, so yeah, uh, the story adaptation kind of sucks here. You know, even though they lifted wholesale a lot of the, you know, the cool cutscenes from the movie, um, something that I think was probably a bit more successful, actually, was the wholesale lifting of some of the soundtrack, though. Um, the mu- the music in Lord of the Rings uh, in the movies is generally excellent, um, and I think that some of that excellence did transfer a lot better over into the game. Patrick, how do you feel about the soundtrack? I mean, the music and the soundtrack of Lord of the Rings is phenomenal. Like, there's no other way to put it. It's a masterpiece. It's one of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time, and 
I'm very glad that it was lifted wholesale. I'm very glad we're not playing the Game Boy Advanced version because that version, <laughs> of course, doesn't have the uh, capacity to play the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. So it's just shitty renditions of it. Um, it's not a one-to-one rendition, too, either. They do. It's a bit. It's a bit remixed, I believe. Slightly remixed. I, th- I think it's mostly the same. So the track I chose today was. It's called the Urukai theme, but I specifically want to highlight a theme within that theme. So Lord of the Rings does this thing where specific characters and settings have themes. And my favorite theme in Lord of the Rings is definitely um, like the Sauron Isengard theme, which goes dun 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 and that's a terrible rendition, but you'll get to hear it soon. <laughs> uh, better than the GBA version, <laughs> slightly better. <laughs> so the the um in this Orakai song that reprise is played towards the end. And it's done multiple times through multiple different songs over the course of at least the first two movies. I think by yeah. the uh, the third movie, Isengard is pretty much done for. So <laughs> that industrial <laughs> theme. And it, that theme is just, I walked around that house just making that noise because it was so, <laughs> it's so great at giving off this idea of, you know, Saruman industrializing and starting the war machine. You know, yes. and the drums and everything. It's just, it's very powerful. But it's I remember not... that scene, like, when they first show, you know, the Urukai being made in the, I think it was those yeah. vats or however. It was so cool. Yeah, it's got that zoom over of Isengard and you see the trees just falling into the pits to be yeah. torn up. And, like, there's, yeah, the whole place is just being turned into a giant war machine. It's wonderful. And the music really sells that scene. Like, imagine that scene without the music. It just would not have the same impact even remotely. So, yeah, that's that's the song I wanted to highlight, but specifically that reprise, which to me is the best in the whole Lord of the Rings universe, and it's there's a lot of good songs on that soundtrack. All right, guys, well, here is... Orakai theme. That was the Urukai theme. Um, I think it was pretty good, and Patrick clearly did too. Um, in general, the soundtrack, you know, it's great. It just really is good. They just copied a good soundtrack, pasted it into the game. Honestly, ten I can't out of ten. Complain. Yeah, ten <laughs> out of ten. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so let's finally get onto a bit about the gameplay on this uh, video game podcast, and totally not a movie <laughs> review podcast. Where Patrick is trying his best to lead us I'm- down that. Listen, Dark I watched path. seven hours of movies. It's very hard for me not to talk about them. But yeah, yeah that's we, like three times as long as the game. <laughs> we, we do, ha- you, as you said, we do need to talk about the gameplay. Where do you want to start, James? Okay. Um, so I kind of want to bring up a high-level concept before we go into it. Um, yep. In general, with 3D action games, I kind of think of them in two separate categories of having two approaches um, to you know implementing enemies and the way you fight them. Um, The first approach in my mind um, that I've come up with is that you can have um, a very small number of highly threatening enemies that have, you know, complex movesets and AI, something similar to maybe Dark Souls, where you're generally doing these, you know, 1v1 duels, but these singular enemies do pose a significant threat to the player. Um, And then on the other hand, you have games that throw lots of enemies at you, say like Dynasty Warriors or, you know, last fortnight when we did Kingdom Under Fire. And in these games, while there's lots of enemies, they generally aren't super aggressive and you can tend to take out a lot of them at the same time, right? Um, You know, the combat isn't super in-depth. And then there's this game, which I think is somewhere in the middle and it's not necessarily a good thing because... um, I think that this game has like, it's like it's got the enemies of Dark Souls where they all have their own movesets and AI, 
but there's about as many of them as in Dynasty Warriors, and they're all, like, as aggressive as they are in Dark Souls, so you kind of, like, get trapped in these situations a lot where you're surrounded by uh, lots of enemies and you're just sitting there mashing the block button um, while getting, like, pounded from all sides. Uh, I don't know if you felt that way about um, the missions. I certainly felt that way for the last couple of missions, um, particularly the last mission, which yes. was just a nightmare to complete. I wouldn't say that's how it is from start to finish, though. I'd say the first chunk of missions you're only really fighting three to four enemies at once and it's only as you get to the very end that it starts throwing like 10 at you at once yes but it never really so this game has an upgrade system and you do get more powerful as the game goes on but you never get so powerful that you're like cleaving through big packs of enemies right like each singular enemy is still you know a reasonable threat on its own and in theory i don't hate that because this is you know your your characters are heroes but they're not superheroes they're still yes. you know human beings that should be able in elves and dwarves to be fair that should be able to yes. you know <laughs> die relatively easily so i'm not sure i want them to have the power of you know a single swipe knocks six enemies away that sort yep. of power level yeah absolutely Basically, I think that the combat in this game is bad, though, and I didn't enjoy it at all. I, and I don't know how you felt overall, but I found it very clunky and repetitive. One thing I would like to do, though, is dive a little bit into what it actually means when I say this game is clunky. Because I've noticed over a lot of episodes, I've accused games of being clunky, and I think it's important that I articulate exactly what that means and why it's a bad thing and why it can be unenjoyable yes so the number one thing i wanted to bring up that i think makes this game feel clunky is that there is no camera control in this game it's a fixed camera and it's not arena based uh necessarily like in devil may cry devil may cry has a fixed camera in the earlier entries up to number four i think number four also has a fixed camera but you're always fighting in limited arenas and although they wisely eventually got rid of it because fixed cameras are stupid at least in devil may cry you'd walk into an area and the camera would be in a relatively sensible place for a fight in that arena mm. in this game you're moving around from place to place with a fixed camera and it is it's very, very disorientating right yeah and hard to control your character yeah and the controls aren't smart about it either so many times i'd be holding left and then it would do the camera transition mm. and then suddenly my character would start running into a wall because like i was holding right and like the angle that right was in the new camera angle just doesn't really make sense so i'd have to like let go of the analog stick and then press right again and he'd adjust to the correct direction so many times i took a bunch of hits because you know the camera you know changed on me and my character started walking in the wrong direction you do literally run into off-screen enemies multiple times over the course of the game as well like yeah. you'll just get hit by an arrow or an enemy will just hit you from off screen because the camera doesn't show them on the subject of the controls like i found them to be kind of unresponsive a lot of the time um especially mm. every character has a ranged attack um and what you do is you hold down the l1 button and it'll put a little target marker above the enemy and then you'll press attack and it'll either shoot the bow or throw gimli's axe whatever if you get hit while you're doing that even if you're still holding the target button and the target's above the head, your character will no longer be in like their ranged stance. They'll have come out of it. So if you press attack, thinking you've still got your bow out, you'll just like, you know, throw a normal melee attack and then get hit mm. by something else. You've got the backswing to deal with. You have to um, re-input. You, you got to re-input re the targeting, even though, like on the screen, it's telling you that you're targeting that enemy. Yes. Uh, really, really clunky and unfun, especially. So there are multiple characters to play through in this game. You can do any of the levels as Aragorn, Legolas, or Gimli. Um, I chose, you know, the dwarf Gimli to go through the entire game with on my first run through. Um, and his ranged attack is so fucking clunky. Like, Legolas, you can shoot, like, yeah, a number of arrows with a couple button presses. 
he takes forever to throw his axes. So if you're ever in a situation where you need to take out a ranged enemy by throwing an axe, uh, so many times you'll just get nicked by a little melee swing and be forced to, you know, reposition and start throwing again. It's really, uh, I don't know, it just felt bad. Um, and actually, there was this one mission early on in the game that forced you to use Gimli's axe throw against that, this troll enemy. That's the one enemy. you asked me to play. Yeah, I asked right? you to I, play I did, that one. I did do it, yeah. How did you feel about that mission, Patrick? Because uh, well, basically, you've got to like dodge this thing's attacks while throwing your axe, but he takes so long to throw his axe that it's like really, really hard to avoid the thing's hits. So I did it. I did it first try, but that's just because I was very careful and I took my time. So you can, you can. There's basically always enough time to dodge once you've got the rhythm down. You just yeah. need to not get greedy. Only throw one axe. And then, um, and then keep moving. Then throw one axe. Yeah, that's fine, but it doesn't feel good, right? Like, no. uh, I I rage quit the game for a few hours after that mission. <laughs> I just like it felt shit. Uh, it felt awful to play. I agree. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that once you do have the rhythm down, it it's fine. It, it's just very time consuming. Yeah, yeah. Generally, I found the bosses in this game to be very fair, but not fun. If that makes sense, just because they didn't feel good to fight. And I wasn't like, it wasn't like, I don't know, a boss in another game where I'm happy to throw my body at them for hours, you know, getting kind of obsessed with beating them. It's like, I just want this to be over uh, in this game a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, the worst boss was the, um, for that, was the warg one. Uh, but um, before we go back into bosses, do you mind if I spend a bit more time explaining why I felt this game was clunky? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the other, there's a couple of things to bring up. There's no um there's no movement options in this game or on the control pad. There's no dash, there's no roll. There's there is no... a back dash. There there's a back dash, yes, but it it can't be really used defensively. Yes. Like you can't be dashing or rolling around to reposition yourself versus enemies. Enemies kind of form a wall. Like if there's a couple of enemies in front of you, it's very very hard to near impossible to like get past them. They kind of just have big fat hitboxes and you kind of need to attack them. Yeah, and the areas that you fight them in are generally very small and constrained. Mm. So having good positioning is like close to impossible oftentimes. I felt very, I felt it was very hard to back off and reposition um, yes. just in any given situation. Yeah, so the only way to like back up is to like backdash or turn around and run away. That's your only movement option, which feels... It makes it feel clunky and restrictive. Um, the other one is less obvious, but it's to do with the rigidity of the attacks and the combos. So modern game design for action RPGs has really implemented this idea of short attacks and trans transitioning between different kinds of attacks and being able to change the direction in which you're attacking like mid-attack. So if you've got a three attack combo you can send the first attack in one direction kind of slowly shift to the right for the second attack then turn behind you and do the slam for the third attack combo the other thing is the way combos tend to work in these modern action rpgs is that if the combo is you know x square triangle which each of those representing a different attack you press x for the first attack then when you want to do the second attack you press square third attack you press triangle mm. In Lord of the Rings, uh, on the first front, attacks are very rigid. You start attacking and you're kind of locked into a direction for a sequence of attacks in a specific location for as long as that attack takes to complete. With the combos, you kind of cue them. So the, the combo might be X square square X. So you quickly press it and then your character will do the combo in front of you. Both of those things feel like agency is being taken away from the player and you're unable to like freely move between your attacks and, you know, make minute positioning adjustments. You're just kind of rigidly locked into specific attacks in specific places. Yeah, and in a game that doesn't have like melee lock on, 
um, and also has so many enemies attacking you at the same time. It's really hard mm. to A, you know, have the combo hit the enemy that you want it to hit, and B, you can't really cancel out of these combos to react to, like, three Urukai running after you off screen. Um, they just appear in huge packs and, you know, doing these combos really leaves you vulnerable a lot of the time and you're kind of forced to just fall back onto your basic like strong attack, strong attack or like yep. triple light attack string rather than trying to do anything fancy because it just gets you hit more often than not. Yeah, there's no animation cancelling, like you said, either for um for the front swings or the back swings. So yes. You're just kind of stuck in. And I mean, not every game needs animation cancelling and there is something to be said for punishing you for committing to big combos or like a big overhead attack but uh yeah it's it's not done well here and i heavily relied specifically on heavy attacks for most of my playthrough yeah well against in games with like lots of, well singular in enemy encounters you can kind of like read their patterns and learn you know your spacing and your timing and when to go in like commit to your you know your string and if you fuck it up you get punished and that's fine mm -hmm. but here you've got these enemies but there's like six of them and the ai is not smart enough to only have like two of the enemies attack you at once like they'll all be attacking you at the same time you know completely you know disjointed timing wise from each other and oftentimes there just isn't a window where you can get a hit in you just have to i don't know wait for an ally to bail you out or just mash um with gimli in particular you can learn a move that is an attack on wake up so you get knocked mm. down and then you mash X and he jumps up and knocks everyone down. Um, Aaron's got that too, yeah. Yeah, near the end of the game, I was just getting knocked over on purpose because that was the easiest <laughs> way to, you know, dispatch large groups of enemies was to purposely get knocked down and then use this attack I can't get knocked out of to, you know, knock three dudes onto the ground at once. It's uh, pretty degenerate gameplay that I don't, I really don't like that I was forced to do that in a lot of situations. Um, I just think that the, you know, the ability to outskill the enemies is not, you know, I feel like you have to have played this game a lot in order to be able to do that. And it's not like the fun kind of outskilling. It's, you know. The the outskilling of this game has, in the skill, and I did get better with um, finding with it as I progressed is about finding, I guess, windows of opportunity to do those combos. Because the combos are powerful. The last attack is often an instant kill um, on in a, in a small area, which can be very effective. But it's very hard to find that window because of how easily you are interrupted. So Dark Souls yeah. has a couple of ways that it gets around this. The first is the concept of poise which, um, you know, the more armor you have and the more if you've got, you know, a good shield and everything, you basically have a less likely to get staggered by attacks. So if you're wearing heavy armor, light attacks won't stagger you, but heavy ones probably will. The real solution that Dark Souls has is a thing called hyper armor, though. I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the um with the yeah, intricacies like of Dark game. Souls. Yeah, well, but uh, lot, lots of games have hyper armor. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, lots of lot, lots of yeah, lots of attacks have you know can't be interrupted. Specific attacks. They're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really wish that this game had instances of that because uh, you know sometimes you just. You try like five times in a row to get an attack out and you just get knocked down every time. It's so fucking frustrating. Specifically what they'll do is they'll, it won't be like the moment you start hitting them, you gain, you know, vulnerability. It'll be at a, at a certain stage in a big heavy swing, you'll gain hyper armor and it will be uninterruptible. And that's just a really effective balancing method because it kind of makes it so after a certain point the enemy needs to dodge as opposed to just you know get a tiny stab in with a dagger and you know the whole thing gets you know completely wasted yeah another thing that i noticed was um a lot of enemies like some enemies are really vulnerable to lots of light attacks and other to heavy attacks mm. um and i ran into this situation a lot where there are these enemies that have shields and the shield enemies can only be, you know, hit by heavy attacks. And if you do a light attack, you kind of stagger back and are, like, stunned. Um, and the enemies would group up in such a way that the enemies vulnerable to light attacks were, like, 
clipping into the shield enemies. So no matter which attacks you were using on the group, you were kind of fucked. Because um, if you used light attacks, you'd just bounce back. And if you used heavy attacks, uh, the speedy dudes would just hit you while you're halfway through your information, your animation. Mm. Just like, so shit. Yeah. And, so bad. And as a result, I would say that 80% of the time I was going heavy attack, heavy attack. And I'd mean that, like, yes. 80% of the time. And then I'd mix in some light attacks and some combos here and there. And I think the combos are an important part of, like, mastering this game because that's far and away the fastest way to get your glowing sword for your perfect attacks. But uh, on the whole, in terms of, like, raw efficiency, the heavy attacks are the way to go. And pressing R2 over and over again is doesn't lead to a um, super enjoyable experience, which... Leads me into my next point. This game is very, very repetitive. Not just in how you play it, but in terms of the enemies you face. Yes, there's like three or something, like four, five, I don't know, not very many at all. Um, and you just fight them throughout the entire game and you don't really have to do much different. Like, you have to use the heavy attack on the shield guys. But then light attacks into combos are pretty good against everything else. And I guess there's some archers. Mm. Um, but everything feels very samey, um, and the way health works is that it's very obvious that once you get below, like, a quarter health, um, if you kill an enemy, they'll drop a health potion immediately, yep. so the actual, like, threat for you to die is actually really low here, because you can just abuse the, like, the really obvious mechanic to get health when you need it. Yep. Um, you can even, like, kill a whole heap of enemies when you're low, make them all drop potions, and then you just have this big area where, like, if they knock you onto the floor, you'll fall into a potion and heal. So and that's not to say that the game's a cakewalk, because no. actually, like, most of the time you lose in this game, it's not because you run out of health. It's because you failed some fucking annoying secondary objective, like, uh, there's so many, like, escort missions and, you know, protect the civilians or protect the door kind of, uh, you know, bonus objectives that if, you know, if the door dies or the civilians die, the mission is failed instantly. Um, and I found that to be incredibly frustrating. Well, what it what it effectively does is it gives you a clock, right? <laughs> Except for the catapult yeah. one. But the ones where you have to protect the civilians, it just forces you to progress through it quickly. On the mission where you mm. need to kick down the ladders, you need to be efficiently moving from area to area. With the catapult, it's, you know, it feels like I'm kind of cheesing it, but you have to kind of keep that bloody door at high health throughout the entire engagement and then rush the catapult yes. and hope you don't die. <laughs> Stupid mission. Yeah, it's so fucking annoying. Like, I, I don't know. I just would have preferred it to not have these stupid side objectives and just, you know, had to manage my health a bit more wisely. I don't know. Well, it feels kind of arbitrary, really right? Like, yeah, it's, it's just unsatisfying. Because, it, yeah, protect the civilians is stupid because the civilians have, like, this group health bar and if if you're not fast enough in you know killing the urukai or saving the civilians when you trigger the next civilian being attacked by urukai event that health bar takes damage it's it's a really yeah. weird way to do it and i've failed that mission a few times so and just before i forget um the way blocking this works in this game is awful when you press the block button your character will raise their arms like they're blocking and then put them down immediately so you're like Oh, okay, I just have to time block the enemy's hits. Well, actually, if you mash the block button, you just block everything. Yep. Um, but but if you hold the block button, you only block once. <laughs> so you're like forced to mash the block button for some reason, and it doesn't match the animation, and like it's really unintuitive. And I don't know, my thumb got really tired from defending against me getting you know gang banged in a corner for like 10 minutes uh it just doesn't make a lot of sense the, the lack of a parry riposte is actually quite frustrating like i complained a lot about the action rpg combat in kingdom under fire crusaders it's, Dude, that shit was way better it's way than this. it's way better than this like it really is yeah and i mean part of that is that specifically and you hated that right <laughs> i was not high on it at all and it's considerably better than this and honestly it's not that different in terms of like 
fighting a large group of enemies at once it's because they're not like there's more enemies in that game but they're less aggressive so you just you don't get knocked to the ground constantly or... yeah and while while the parrying isn't perfect at least it have, has that perfect parry thing where you feel rewarded for timing that parry at exactly the right time uh, something that I'm really into now that I've played through Sekiro. That's that that's my jam, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is that most levels have a gimmick, right? Like like you said, like protect the civilians or um, knock down the ladders or whatever. But I don't think those gimmicks are enough. There are games like StarCraft 2 does this thing where each and every level has a gimmick to it. And I think that those gimmicks sufficiently change the gameplay that although you're still doing the build up the base thing most missions, the gimmick is enough to keep you entertained and engaged. The gimmicks here are not enough. It's only very, very tiny differences from a mechanical point of view. So it just feels like you're doing the same thing over and over again. There's really not enough of a change up. I actually did like that level where you have to kick all the ladders down um, to stop all of the Urukai from climbing the walls. I thought that was fine. Um, you have to be like efficient with your movements, but also like try to balance out kicking ladders down with killing enemies. That was fine. It's just the shit where you have to protect civilians that that AI, you know, does whatever the fuck it wants. Um, enemies, you know, will uh, sometimes when you play through the level, they'll go for the civilian. Sometimes they won't. It's just so inconsistent. And I felt like I died a bunch of times because... Uh, I just got screwed by, you know, shit I James AI. doesn't want to protect civilians confirmed. Even more evidence of the fact that you're evil. Let them all die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, James, I think it's... The necromancers knew what they were doing <laughs> in um, Dark Messiah. Necromancers did nothing wrong. Uh, what, what is it you said on our Armored Core episode? You said, uh, that's right, killing, <laughs> he's, killing, he's, people, he's neutral. killing people for money is neutral. <laughs> yeah, killing... I wish I could kill people for money in this game. It would make it a, a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> <Kill the> <laughs> um, anyway, James, I think it's about time we had our next music break. Um, then I think we can wrap it up with... Uh, some boss talk, uh, some level design discussion, and maybe a quick hit on the aesthetics. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the upgrades too, because that's uh, oh, probably of one of the one of the positives I have for this game. Um, so the soundtrack in this game doesn't really, you know, have names for each of the tracks, but I picked the theme that is a bit of a mishmash of the Ringwraith theme from you know the Lord of the Rings movies. So here it is. That was the Ringwraith theme. I really like how ominous it feels, uh, and it plays during a lot of the like the heavier battle moments during the later bits of the game. I really enjoyed the atmosphere it created. I agree. The Ringwraith theme is excellent. Um, like with uh, the Isengard theme, it's a reprise that's used in multiple uh, multiple songs. My favorite use of it in the movie I'm, I'm cheating and talking about the movie again my favorite uh my favorite it's more fun scene. to talk about the movie than this <laughs> I'm, game I'm sorry. <laughs> my favorite my favorite scenes in all the movies after re-watching it is definitely when um arwen is escaping from the ring race on the horse as the nine ring race are chasing her and that theme comes in and it's just 
It's magnificent. I love so that good. scene. Yeah. yeah. That it's just it's just wonderful. So whenever I hear that thing, that's what I think of. But there's also when the ring wraiths first confront Frodo and pals on um Weathertop and um a couple of other times on the Nazguls. It's those that that choir is so powerful. Yeah, it's excellent. I lo- I love it. So back to gameplay. Oh, um yeah i know right i just want to talk about the uh, you know the good movies and the good novels and not the not the shitty game <laughs> um so that actually let's go let's talk about something that was good about this game or something that i liked about this game was the upgrade system this game has this almost like a combo not really a combo system but it kind of rewards you for playing better like the more when you kill enemies without getting hit you get more experience for your character than if you, you know, take a heap of hits from them. Um, and if you play really well for an extended period of time, you actually go into this like upgraded super state where any of your attacks, like even the light attacks, will just kill an enemy in one hit and give you maximum experience for each of them. Mm. Um, and you know, I actually thought it was really enjoyable to perform well for you know a while and get to go into that form and then you know just mop enemies up as opposed to you know them mopping me up and you know i think probably my favorite parts of the game was you know once each mission ended and you got to spend all your experience on learning you know there's quite a few moves to learn for your characters in this action game so um my character went from being pretty unwieldy to being you know fairly fairly enjoyable to play well not other than you know most of the game sucking <laughs> but it was better i, I agree i specifically the um the way it rewards you for not taking damage and dealing damage efficiently is a good idea and one i like uh it's not as complicated as the style system in devil may cry but not everything needs to be the style system the fact that the game is recognizing and rewarding you for playing well is good enough i think where the upgrade system fails is that in practice the way you play this game is to use mostly heavy attacks yeah. And because of that, because you can't actually get all the value out of your combos, it starts to feel kind of meaningless getting those combo upgrades. That and you I can't actually that, use, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the most useful upgrade was always just to your health or your damage. And, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, arrows do more damage, you get more health. And in the end, I prioritized those because if I'm using primarily heavy attacks, then I just need then I don't really need, uh, you know, six different combo attacks for different situations. To segue into level design, um, mm. after I played through the whole game as Gimli, which I would not recommend, he uh, is slow and has short range, don't do it, um, I tried to play Legolas for a while, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of his upgrades are centered around making his bow stronger, and I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, cool, I'll get to use, you know, because whenever you see him, he's using his bow, he's never really using his twin swords. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I'll get to do each level uh, using the bow primarily, because it kills enemies pretty fast. But enemies get it, catch up to you way too fast, and you're too not mobile to be able to do that at all. So once again... Yeah, hiding isn't an option. No, not at all. So once again, I just played the same as I played Gimli and just mashed that heavy attack button. Like, uh, there's three characters in this game and you're kind of forced to play them very similarly with, you know, some very minor exceptions. Even though, you know, theoretically, their cool, diverse skill sets should allow you to play them very differently. The level design and the enemy design just does not allow you to capitalize on that. It was really disappointing for me. It's kind of annoying because the idea is that you play through the campaign three times as the three different characters, and I think that they had a really good opportunity to make tweaks to not only how the characters played, but also to how the levels played out, depending on which character you were playing. There's even this moment in one of the levels that they've just inserted into the game as an extra one where Aragorn or Legolas says, let's split up. And I was like, ah, that's really cool. When you play through each character, it's <laughs> going to have you going through a different area of the forest. No. No, no, not at all. You just do the same thing three times. Yeah. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was so ready to have a different experience because I started with Aragorn and then I went back to Legolas. i got to say, Aragorn felt like a much more well-rounded character, more enjoyable to play than the okay. little bit of Gimli I tried. Because, uh, you know, he's kind of like your generic all-rounder with decent speed and everything. 
Um, yeah, so structurally, it's always the same thing, and the what's promised by playing three different characters doesn't end up being that impressive. No, not at all. I, I really, like, after I played through half the game as Legolas and then played a couple missions as Aragorn, I thought that uh, it's really not going to be a different experience. I'd made my opinion on the combat by that point and only finished the campaign fully as Gimli because, you know, it just wasn't different enough. Uh, between Mm. the characters and it just felt like you know wasting my time i really think it had the potential here and actually you know coming back to this after you know i remember really enjoying the return of the king game um as being better like just this but better um so coming back here it was pretty disappointing one last thing i want to talk about level design and maybe we can roll the bosses into it i um mentioned it earlier the walk fight which there's a lot of different missions in this game which are bad for different reasons but this one is bad for like a level design issue so in the movies the warg fight is like an ambush uh the civilians are trying to escape to helm's deep and they send out these uh, isengard sends out these mobile warg riders essentially like cavalry uh with the idea that they can you know move forward catch the civilians off guard inflict some damage while they're out in the open um and so such a mission you would think would take place in a big open field just like in the movie (laughs) where the cavalry are best positioned to maneuver but it just takes place in a tiny arena with no civilians at all and just you dodging a few of the cavalry and i thought of all of the scenes from the movie that was the most disappointing because it just transformed what was a really cool scene into something completely different and what it transformed into was not enjoyable to play through at all yeah i agree um level design wise the best level in my opinion was probably one of the most gimmicky ones um it i think it was either the one before or just after the or grider boss that you're talking about but basically there are all these orcs with like explosives strapped to their back suicide Um, bomber orcs yeah and they all run at you in a line and if you like shoot an arrow at one of them the first one it will explode and like all of the rest of them nearby will explode like dominoes um and there's this entire level based around you know hordes of suicide bombing orcs sprinting at you and you trying to like blow them up with a ranged attack before they get to you i thought that was kind of fun yeah it was okay uh, it was very easy, would yeah, be my was. only criticism. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I just failed to hit the heights. Like, even the one which I thought, I to me, the most iconic fight in all of Lord of the Rings is probably, um, I think it's called Armin, I want to say Armin Het, the one with Uruk High um, attacking the Fellowship before they split up. Yeah, and I don't think river, this yeah. was, yeah, I don't think this was a good rendition of that battle because. So much of it, it just hinges on Boromir. Like, so much of the the weight of that is Boromir, after betraying, you know, Frodo and in his weakness, you know, performing that glorious last stand to try and protect Merry and Pippin in a selfless way, yes. and, you know, tragically dying. And it's just not there. And I don't know, it's just, if, once again, if you just cut, if you cut the emotional heart out of it, it's hard to emotionally connect to what's going on. And I think as a kid, it was it would have been cool because the fighting was cool. And you can say, wow, it's really cool that I get to fight. Yeah. But that's not enough for me nowadays. I need I need a deeper connection to really yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, and it just isn't there, right? Like, the entire yeah. game just kind of fails to resonate. And it feels really flat because, like, every single level is this epic action scene. Like, there are no... You know, there's no troughs and crests. It doesn't go up and down. There aren't these bits that are, you know, really impactful because the game was building up to it. All of it Mm. is just flat action scene the entire way through, and it just felt monotonous. Yeah, one one of the things that makes that Helm's Deep thing so incredible is that the whole movie is building up to it. Yeah. And then, you know, you Aragorn, you know... Sorry, it starts with, you know, Isengard, you first see the army where Sauron is looking over the army and then Aragorn scouts it out as he's coming back from his injury and then they start marching on Helm's Deep and then they're all smashing their spears and it just, when it finally comes, it's this huge release. This has like a 30-second shot of the army and (laughs) then game on. It's like, 
it's just it's just never going to be the same there's, there's so, no yeah. build-up there's nothing it's just it's whatever um i felt very very mad about the experience as a whole um mm. patrick i'm kind of running out of my notes here because i didn't have much written down honestly other than most of it's not very fun <laughs> pretty much at the end as well just uh we we touched it briefly but before we wrap up discussion of like gameplay um the bosses are all very gimmicky uh the boss format is like boss will do this thing you dodge that thing you attack that weak spot for massive damage and then you rinse and repeat seven times as yeah. soon as you figure out you know that you need to dodge x attack and attack them in the moment of weakness y the boss fight is solved and it's just a matter of execution um it heals you throughout the boss fight as well so even if you you know stuff it up it just gives you your health back and you can just keep going so yeah the boss fights suck in addition to the regular gameplay the game was like what like how long did it take you to beat this game patrick uh it took me not very three long hours long. yeah like three, three hours, hours or something there were, like there was, that there were definitely the last couple of missions particularly that um so the defend the door mission i really hated because oh my god i i would get to the end of it and then my door wouldn't have enough health for me to finish off the catapult yep uh and then i got better and better and better at the earlier sections until it was nearly at full health and i was able to take down the catapult in time so that took a while and then the final mission i just felt like i replayed it until i got a lucky set of you know orcs yeah. Like they kind of were getting stuck on one another because there were so times many. where, it's, it's where the just... RNG was just like, I don't understand how you're meant to do this. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like climactic either. Like the game just kind of like ends in this weird spot. Like I know there's this like super secret mission you can do by getting all of the characters to level 10, but you know, when you finish the story, your character's at like level eight. So what am I going to do? Go back and grind these missions I've already done with these characters to it's like I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not down for that. That doesn't sound fun to me at all. The super secret mission is Saruman's Tower and you battle yes. up through 20 levels against different sets of enemies. So it's just like a survival mission, basically. So yeah. <laughs> it's not even like a real story mission. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not even worth doing yeah um did you want to go into final impressions patrick i would love to i uh, if you would like to I'm, I'm sorry blake so when i was talking to blake about this he um half jokingly said that if i didn't approve this that he'd stop listening to the show and i'm <laughs> devastated but blake looks like we're gonna lose one listener because i cannot in good conscience uh recommend lord of the rings the two towers it is not a very good video game if you want to revisit Lord of the Rings, if you have nostalgic memories of Lord of the Rings um, and, you know, the books are too hard for you, which is understandable, they're not easy books, just watch the movies again. You're going to get everything that you could possibly get from this game and so much more. This game has a bad adaptation of the story. It has a poor and repetitive and clunky combat system. The upgrade system is potentially interesting, but it's completely undone by the fact that when you're actually playing the video game, you barely use any of the upgrades. Um, the level design is constrained and constricted, and your character can barely maneuver around it with the character's hitboxes being huge. Even the climatic, sort of potentially interesting moments are undone by the waves and waves of enemies it sends at you when you're just doing the same thing over and over again. This is not a very good game. It has not stood the test of time. I can see why as a 10 or 11 year old kid, I might have enjoyed it as being kind of cool like the movies. But in terms of is this a good video game? The answer is a resounding no. Don't play this game. You'll just be disappointed. Hopefully when we eventually do Return of the King, it's a better game. Everything I've read suggests that it goes a long way to improving on this game in every way. But I uh, don't play Two Towers. It's not worth your time. I'm trying to think of if I even have anything to add to that. Like, usually I have a different take to you, Patrick, because we, uh, we can't fucking agree on anything. But no. here, 
I just completely agree. This game isn't very good, like, for all the reasons that you listed. The story in particular gets absolutely shafted by this, like, double adaptation. It was really frustrating because, you know, Lord of the Rings, obviously very interesting. The characters in this game aren't characters. They're, like, shells of shells of shells. Uh, they don't have dialogue for the most part. They don't talk to each other. It just sucks. Uh, and the gameplay, it's like two and a half hours of you getting stuck in a corner trying to, like, mash your way out of these stupid gangbangs. I fucking hated it. Um, I remember very fondly playing lots of Return of the King. And, you know, my recommendation is to give that game a try if you want a good Lord of the Rings experience. Definitely do not come here for it. I think this is, uh, this is just straight up a bad game. Yeah, so I mean that—that's the word. Uh, disappointing to say, but that's just that's what the verdict is. And I think that I think that if you play it with uh, with an open mind, not clouded by nostalgia, you too will realize that it's uh, it's quite a poor game. So stay away from it. Um, thank you so much to everyone for listening to us diss Lord of the Rings Two Towers the game today. Uh, we even got a, <laughs> snuck, we were able to sneak a bit of a movie review in there, just a very short one, but I couldn't help myself. Um, we are, of course, the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I was joined by my co-host, James Turlings. You can find all of our content, including our podcasts and lots of articles that we've written over the past year and a half on our website, which is rspodcast.net. That has links to, you know, uh, YouTube and every our Spotify link and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Uh, most importantly, we would love that you would join for you to join us on our Discord server. It's a text-based search server where we talk about new games, old games. We take listener suggestions. We we discuss and disagree about the episodes we've done. Um, not this time. Usually, we're far more at each other's throats, but it seems like this might be a far more civil one. If you have any thoughts to share on the Two Towers video games, if you think. Return of the King is a game that is definitely worth playing that improves on this one. We would love to hear what you think. So please do drop on by our Discord server. We would love to have you there. Yeah, so um, with that out of the way, it's time to move on to what we'll be playing next fortnight. So it's my turn, um, and we get to pick a uh, hopefully an enjoyable game this time. Um, <laughs> so I've wanted to do another 2D platformer for quite a while, and actually we haven't done anything, you know... Uh, super mainstream for a while, I think. So I think we're going to go as mainstream as they come and play one of the old Mario games. So next Fortnite, we're going to be playing Super Mario World, which has always kind of entranced me when watching uh, people play ROM hacks of it on Twitch. I've always really enjoyed uh, the mechanics in the game, um, and I've actually never played it from start to finish, so I'm really looking forward to that. So it's very interesting. I'm... um. I'm into Mario, but only as a modern player of the series. I've played a lot of Super Mario Maker and Super, well, specifically Super Mario Maker 2. Uh, I got a Switch and I've been, I played it a fair bit. I'm also an avid spectator of Super Mario 2 because there are Kaizo Mario levels, uh, which are just platforming, high level Mario platforming is amazing. Like, there's so much item abuse and reactions and the, the way the level creators set up these, like, mechanisms for these elaborate, really yes. cool sort of platforming stuff is is awesome and I'm all for it. I haven't actually played any of the original Mario games except the very first one that I played through when I was very young and only have vague memories of. So I'm excited to play a traditional platformer-like super mario world and it'll be very interesting to compare it to the um the kind of more modern and advanced levels that i've played in super mario maker to see if this tr more traditional style of platforming still holds up or if it's kind of been made obsolete by the far more sophisticated platforming um, of the present yeah so um looking forward to that one and until then we'll see you next time see you next fortnight